0: There's a lot of people who who are in this situation where they have something happen, they go to doctors, the doctors are like, hey, we ran all the scans, we don't know what's going on. There's, as a patient, there's an absurdity to facing that and just being like, trying to just deal with it. And I think a lot of often people in those situations end up kind of dealing with it sort of in the way that is presented in... Um, In this movie. Hello and welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden, from the channel Like Stories of Old, where we seek to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the killing of a sacred deer from the director, Yorgos Lanthimos. Before we get into the episode, I want to quickly mention that this is a Nebula original podcast. So if you want to support the podcast, get access to episodes a week early without any ads and also get access to our monthly bonus episode. You can do that by signing up at nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning. You can also check out the link in the show notes for more information about that. For now, let's get into the episode. So uh, this is a movie that... I've seen, I think this was my third time watching it, uh, so I've mm. seen it a couple times. Um, my wife and I are both big fans of Yorgos Lanthimos. I don't know what that says about us, but hmm. we are. Um, I've seen all his all his movies. Well, not all of them. I've seen a couple of them uh, several times. Um, this one in particular sticks in my head for some reason. I also really like The Lobster, um, but uh, those two both both i think are my favorites um but this is a weird one i don't really know why i like this i kind of only think i half know what it's about if it's even possible to know what it's about um it's it's really dark Mm -hmm. every time i watch it i forget how just messed up it is like i forget i forget how it ends every time and then it gets to (laughs) that ending and i'm just like Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, it's
1: pretty straightforward on the surface. It's like uh,
0: yes, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, sir. It's about a surgeon that is played by uh, Colin Farrell. His name's Stephen, Steven, and his yeah. and his family. So his uh, wife is also a doctor, played by Nicole Kidman, Anna, and then they have two kids, Bob and uh, Kim, and. Basically, kind of as it starts, we learn a little bit about their life, um, but we find out that the doctor, Colin Far- uh, Stephen, has this relationship with this young man. They kind of meet up at a diner. They hang out together. It, it's a little weird and awkward. We're not sure exactly what the nature of this relationship is. Um, but as things unfold, essentially, um, it, Stephen kind of invites martin this young man into his life a little bit more uh and we slowly learned that um that there's there he he is kind of looking after martin because his father martin's father died in surgery in a surgery was a patient of of stevens and died having heart surgery Mm. um so that's kind of why he's he's sort of acting as this surrogate father figure. Um, and eventually, this is not... This is all... I mean, this is like an hour into the movie as it slowly sets us up, but this isn't really spoilers. This is mostly just the core of what's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, eventually, Bob starts falling sick and ill, and then Kim does, and we uh, essentially... We realize, or I guess Martin comes out and says it eventually, that this is sort of like some kind of curse or revenge that Martin is enacting on the family. We have no idea how or how what the mechanics are of this, but Martin's like, all three of your family members are going to get sick, they're going to eventually die, uh, this is for revenge for my father's death, which we find out was maybe because... Uh, Stephen was drinking so there was negligence involved there Mm. and that's why he died in surgery and so Martin is trying to get his revenge and the only way that uh, that Steven can save his family is by Choosing to kill one of them. So because he let Martin's father die, he now has to choose to kill one of uh, his own family members to save the other's and that's that's what's going on in this movie and then that all just plays out in a very deadpan straightforward yeah. way um so that's kind of what's going on we're going to get into it maybe like how we feel about it what we think it means yeah yeah um but this was you watched it for the second time
1: uh yeah uh, i just watched it this morning i saw it when it came out um i also saw the lobster and i think uh, the favorite was also um, his.
0: Mm-hmm. yes.
1: Um, yeah, I, I like him. I don't have a particularly strong connection to his work. Um, but it, but his movies are always very interesting and very, you know, interesting in a strange way in the sense that you never quite know what you're gonna get in terms of mood and atmosphere and um, the themes that are being discussed. Um, but yeah, he does, he he is developing a very specific voice that kind of borders on the absurd at times, um, dark comedy or, or like black humor, um, I don't remember much of the lobster, except for Colin Farrell kicking that little kid in the shin, which <laughs> <laughs> I thought was just right. the funniest thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the same with, uh, as you said, with uh, Sacred Deer. Like I remember some beats of it, but I didn't remember the exact, uh, like the whole sequence of events. And so I kind of felt like I was watching it again for the first time. Um, Though so I do think I connected more with it this time. The first time I was kind of like, eh, it's kinda of weird. I'm not sure I get it. Um but it does feel like a kind of movie where you really have to embrace and relish the strangeness of it all. Yeah. And yeah. that's usually easier when you've already seen it once, so you kinda of know where the plot is going and you don't have to um like direct any mental energy towards keeping track of that and you can just enjoy the whole weird vibes (laughs) that are being presented (laughs) which do which i do think serve some interesting deeper themes uh some are more obvious than others um some i've already seen a lot of people talk about others maybe less so um Also, lots of interesting symbolism going on, uh, like some interesting motifs that kind of come back throughout the story, which I think are uh, very revealing as to the more uh, deeper layers of this story. Um, I think the the most notable thing I realized as I was watching it this time is because, um, is that I I watched uh, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, Knock at the Cabin. Um, uh, yeah. not too long ago, which was sort of the same in the sense that both of these movies present in the most basic foundation a trolley problem. Like you have to choose between two evils or I guess the situation is you have these two evils. One is lesser, one is greater and you have to commit the lesser one in order to prevent the greater one. Right, so, right. So uh, in Knock Up the Cabin, knock at the cabin, there's this family. Um, have you seen it? Uh, I ha- no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I-, I won't spoil it, but the premise of that movie is that you have this family, uh, these two men with, a- with their child who are in this cabin, and they get uh, they are visited by these intruders who then proclaim to them that the world is going to end unless they kill one of their family members. So they also have to sacrifice one of their own one of their loved ones in order to save, in this case, uh, humanity in its entirety. And it's kind of similar to what's going on here where the very basic premise is that Stephen has to kill one of his family members in order to save all of them, or at least yeah. the other two. Uh, he has three choices: his son, his daughter or his wife. And if he doesn't do anything, he all, all three will die. If he kills one, the other two will live. Um, but whereas um, I brought up Knock at the Cabin, I think some sometime behind the scenes too, as a potential movie for discussion. But we, but I ultimately ended up not being in favor of it because it felt like that movie doesn't really have anything going on besides its trolley problem, and it kind of sure. Um, I think the issue that I had with Knock at the Cabin is that it presents the trolley problem and then tries to add weight to the choices. Uh, It tries to make some sort of moral judgment on what is fundamentally a kind of ridiculous premise. The whole trolley problem, I think, is kind of silly. It's not really an issue that really teaches us or informs us that much about justice. And that's yeah. and so when I saw Sacred Deer, like the one thing that I really liked is that that's like my criticism of Knock at the Cabin is pretty much, uh, let me put it like this: like Sacred Deer pretty much does right what I think Knock at the Cabin did wrong. But because I think what the killing of a Sacred Deer ultimately does is it really exposes the whole absurdity and the the sort of nothingness at the heart of this problem. Like we think yeah. there's yeah. there's a sort of The trolley problem creates this illusion of some kind of deep, meaningful decision that's to be made. Whereas in reality, there's, it's kind of a non-problem and, um, we'll get into more deeply why I think that is, but, um, yeah, I think the, um, sacred deer is, is really an effective deconstruction of the trolley problem in its essence and thereby informs us a lot also about the meaning of justice, the role of reason and rationality within it, the role of emotional connection, and sort of just the limits of our decision-making, or like reasonable decision-making, which come into play here. So um, yeah, that's, that's on this rewatch what I... Probably enjoyed the most amount about this movie, just from a more thematic point of view, that it's that I think it presents this effective deconstruction of a um, at first glance deep philosophical problem, but really, but one that's really more superficial than it seems, and just kind of functions in that way as a mirror to the limits of our own perception and our own judgment and our own yeah. uh, capacity to conceive of and bring about justice
0: yeah yeah it's at its core i think there's a lot there about i think everything you're saying is true about how it's deconstructing Mm -hmm. that but then when you deconstruct that what you're left with is kind of this horror of like the horror that's in this movie is a horror of powerlessness and a horror of absurdity or or kind of the tragedy of the situation uh, and I have a lot of thoughts about that and how it relates to the whole theme of the movie so I think yeah I think there's there's a, a lot to get in into here before mm-hmm. we get into maybe specifically what this movie is commenting about you already met you mentioned Yorgos Lanthimos's kind of voice and the the presentation I think one of the first things you notice watching something like this is just the dialogue the way the performance is the way the dialogue is written and then the way the performances are acted give everything such a incredibly like stilted, it almost feels like chat GPT generated mm. conversations. You,
1: you know what it made me think of? The uh, uh, the movie The Room. The Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, of, yes. Except <laughs> where he did it with total <laughs> sincerity. sincerity. It, it, it yes. feels like uh, Lance is more uh aware or more deliberate in how he's presenting this kind of awkward uh awkwardness yeah
0: yeah um and i i just wanted to comment on that and see like i think even beyond maybe the commentary he's making here about you know sort of this moral conundrum or revenge or the medical system or whatever there's just like a perception of uh reality and sort of social norms that he has in the way he conveys that 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 i think is a big part of why i like it to begin with where it, i just feel like watching this or especially also the lobster is very much in this vein too it's just like the he captures this feeling that i have sometimes when i'm looking at the world where it just feels like none of this really makes any sense and mm-hmm. it feels like everybody under like everybody's operating by some kind of script that I don't really fully understand. And we're just all kind of going through these weird motions. And uh, there's rules about this world that don't really make any sense. They seem kind of weird and absurd, but we all just follow them because that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um He very much captures that with the tone in the presentation. And uh, so I I don't know. I don't I don't think everybody feels that way. I think there's like a there's like an outsider quality. There's something that these movies capture that to me feels very at home. If you've ever felt like out of place in certain social dynamics or social situations. And uh, I just appreciate that on a base level, I think. Um, mm-hmm. is like the character's attempt to kind of uh, d- like they're finding their way in this world, but they're not really that emotionally invested in it because there's kind of an yeah. inherent absurdity to it. Uh, I don't know if that, that makes sense.
1: I think it does. And I think it even plays into the the central conflict in this movie where basically what's being suggested by Martin is that Stephen killed his father, or at least let him die due to negligence. And so he's basically arguing, you took one member of my family, now I have to take one of yours, or you have to take one of yours. So that's his perception of justice is also this kind of balancing act, or sort of almost like a transaction where uh, you take one of mine, I take one of yours. Uh, He even demonstrates this when... At one point where he's he's being captured by Steven and then he bites him in the arm and then he bites himself in the arm really hard and then he literally shouts like, Do you understand? You know it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's kind of also how the all the characters interact with each other. It's very yeah. dry and very much like Can I see your armpit hair? Sure, and you know, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's very strange, but it's very like I have a request. Okay, request granted or denied, and there's no real emotions. It seems at play. People or you know characters here don't really talk about feelings. There's no moment where you really get a sense of their deeper emotions. I'm guess as I was saying that, I was thinking that one scene where Stephen does break down at the at the choice he's about to face, but they don't have, like, an emotional interaction still with... They
0: never talk about how they feel.
1: Yeah. Right. Even when they're kind of... Later in the movie, when they realize, okay, we're going to have to make a choice, the conversation is not so much like, oh, why could they... How could they do this to us? Or... Right. It's still very... I I guess, um, Nicole Kidman, Anna, uh, she at first... She does question, like, why do my kids have to suffer because of 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 all this right but then later she's like you know if we kill one of the kids we can always make another one <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, it just becomes this weird it's basically this whole emotionally detached world that we're being presented with yeah um and that the characters also um, exemplify
0: so i think this creates a natural segue into some of the things i want to mm-hmm. talk about which is I think what some of what you're describing is serving in this movie or what it's kind of trying to talk about Uh, because a central aspect of this film to me is the hospital is the medical environment is the way the children what's happening to the kids has they run all these tests they have like the best doctors looking at them and they're coming up with nothing Uh, and there's sort of like. poetic absurdity here where it's just like if you were going to concoct like the most horrific um, curse for two doctors two well-off doctors it's like give their children a mysterious illness that has no cause and they just have to like they can't understand it and they just have to uh you know watch them die essentially but i think this to me is like a central part Of I think what the movie's getting at which is Kind of the horror of dealing with a medical system sometimes or Illness that you can't Mm -hmm. understand or just being in the situation as a patient of like Something happened to me Um, There's a lot of people who who are in this situation where they have something happen They go to doctors the doctors are like hey we ran all the scans We don't know what's going on. Maybe it's psychosomatic. You know, you're just going to have to deal with it. And there's, as a patient, there's an absurdity to facing that and just being like, there's these weird rules that I don't understand. I'm going and talking to these people and they can't help me. And so I'm just left with the reality of, uh, you know, making the most of this situation and trying to, um, trying to just deal with it and i think a lot of often people in those situations end up kind of dealing with it sort of in the way that is presented in um in this movie where it's like you know if you're dealing with an illness and you're dying and there's nothing that you can do about it a lot of times people will break down people will be emotional it's sad it's tragic it's terrible but often people also just keep going on with their life as if nothing is wrong as if like you know it's just like there's this element of just accepting it and trying to move on and trying to live in some kind of normalcy um mm. a lot of times not everybody but you know i've i've seen that to some extent and experienced that to some extent and um and I think this movie does a really good job of, of capturing that aspect of like kind of the horror the the tragic horror and absurdity of inexplicable illness and being Mm. powerless to really do anything about it and then just what do you do with the emotions that you have about that that kind of situation
1: yeah i think you can even extend that further into the more general concept of inexplicable Tragedy, or even just the ultimate, like more on a more cosmic level, the seeming absurdity and randomness and um unpredictability of the universe that just inflicts whatever for whatever reason, and we're just kind of trying to have some sense of stability and uh, in this case also justice within that, even though um at the end of the day, it's all kind of fuzzy and there's no real solid ground. And that's, um, yeah, I think that's what this movie really um, dives into deeply, I think. Or at least there's a lot of this um, that's sort of lingering beneath the surface there. That sensation that there's nothing really, like, on the most fundamental level, there's nothing really that you can understand and there's nothing really that you can do with any sort of reasonable um, conviction. And that, um, because that's, you know, when Martin presents his trolley problem or essentially his trolley problem to Stephen, you know, there's this little um, point thereafter where, Stephen tries to get a sense of which of his children is the best, so he goes to his school right. to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like try and get some hint of, you know, which 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 one of my children is fundamentally better in some way or another. And I think this, that whole exploration and everything that comes after, and uh, the thing that we talked about with Anna saying like, oh, we can have another kid, and. We can just replace the, the the one that you then sacrifice, or it just kind of emphasizes the whole pointlessness or the futility of this whole or of trying to get of trying to fit this sort of concept of justice in any terms that are reasonable. You cannot really, because that, that, I think that's the whole point. At the end of the day, is that the choice between there was no choice to be made by Stephen, like whatever person he was going to pick it, it it wouldn't have meant anything more than if he had chosen another one and that's yeah. kind of where you really i think bump into that wall of okay w- we have this or once we've con- we're, we're confronted with this situation like this uh, not literally like this but you know where we have to make a difficult choice and then that's when we can become confronted with the fact that we don't really have the skills or the tools available as human beings to even make a decision that is in any way more meaningful than if you had chosen anything else. And I think that's also what, why the, the, the the finale kind of skipping ahead a little bit maybe, but, uh, why the climax of this movie feels so silly where with (laughs) Stephen, <laughs> yeah. you know, he puts his children and his wife uh, blindfolded in the living room in a circle or in a triangle, I guess. Uh, he stands in the middle with a shotgun blindfolded himself and he just spins around in the most ridiculous and unproductive way <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, could go you know. about this. And he just, he misses tw- twice uh, because he just he's just shooting randomly. He's not even aiming for a person and then going for like a, More precise shot. He's just shooting kind of wildly around until eventually hitting um, the sun, Bob. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Bob. Poor Um, Bob. Yeah. I guess the other one gets the MP3 player now, but. uh... (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's no, there wasn't, there was never going to be a satisfying resolution to that problem because there isn't one. And I think that's the whole point of it, kind of showing the non-problem that's um, being presented here. And that's, um, I'm not sure if that relates or if that relates to what you were saying earlier. about. No, no, the, I think, yeah.
0: yeah, I think it does because the the horror of those situations in a medical context is mm-hmm. like if somebody is dying inexplicably of a disease and doctors can't do anything about it, And you as a family, you know, if like somebody in your family is dying or whatever it is and you just have to to deal with it. It's like there's no there is no way to make that like feel, you know, you can you can come to a place of like peace and acceptance about that. You -hmm. know, as humans, we can like come to a place of peace and acceptance. I think having greater peace and acceptance about death or suffering is possible so like you can do that but there's nothing there's no way you can sort of like undo the kind of tragedy of it you're just left with that you know there's there you're in this like impossible situation so i think that that fits um very much with what you're saying where it's like it's this there's a sense of a choice here but it's you know if he doesn't shoot them and they all die that's also tragic you know the idea that you can kind of determine which is objectively better morally doesn't actually like make it doesn't like help the situation really at all it's like the people still die tragically Mm -hmm. and in some sense it's like the, pr- the real problem is in the past and we can't change that. Like the real problem is the trolley up the tracks coming down the tracks. It's like the real solution to the trolley problem is stop the trolley. Like don't send it down either thing. Mm-hmm. But like in the trolley problem, you know, hypothetically, you can't stop the trolley. So you're just left with a tragedy, uh, you yeah. regardless.
1: Yeah, there's some variations on the trolley problem. I think there's one where instead of you being next to the switch that would divert it from killing one person or to killing 10 people or whatever. There's also one where instead of it's just one track, and then you're standing on a bridge on top of it with another person next to you who would be right. capable of stopping the trolley if that person were to be pushed down by you and right, in right. the on the, to the tracks and then preventing the, again, uh, the 10, 5, uh, I don't know how many right. people are further down the track. So in that example, you have to be, or in that example, you have to commit a more active evil instead of just diverting like the the switch. But, um,
0: the real question is like, does taking action to sort of intentionally choose to end someone's life is that mo- morally wrong, even if you do that in order to, like, save the lives of other people, more other people d- due to some event that's been just, yeah. like, set in action is, like, physics, essentially. Like, you have no control over anything. These people are just going to die, a-, a group of some amount of people, hmm. and... The only way you could conceivably stop that would be by doing something that normally we would be like morally reprehensible, like killing somebody. Um, and it's yeah. just like, I mean, I guess like ethically, there's there's some sense in which that's like an interesting problem to think about. But I think, like you pointed out in the beginning, it's not. This is not really a situation we practically that has much practical bearing on our lives. I don't know. Maybe, I yeah. Maybe. I'm sure ethicists, people who study ethics, could, could would no, say otherwise, maybe. But.
1: Um, because I think once you place it into a real-life situation, all those characters get like... Uh, they become, in the case of Stephen, like they become his children or his family, and then immediately right. this whole value judgment becomes feudal almost. It, and that's yeah, kind of, yeah. I guess, the point of this whole uh, story. Um, but I, I, I do think there's maybe... Um, I don't think this movie is about the trolley problem. Um, it, I think just it just uses it to deconstruct it and then hold up a mirror to like, other issues that we face or that limit us as human beings. Um, but I do think for Steven, there's also the element that he's kind of presented as this somewhat... Irres- no, not necessarily irresponsible, maybe more negligent character... It's kind of reading between the lines, but there's this yeah. um motif where throughout the movie people will comment on this beautiful hands and um I don't remember I saw this pointed out somewhere. This is not my original thought, but um in the opening shot there's this uh the movie opens with this open heart surgery, which is supposedly then the one of uh, martin's father that one that where he died on the op- uh, his father right. died on the operating table and you see afterwards Steven having this uh, like bloody gloves from surgery and he kind of takes them off and throws them away in a way or in that way kind of symbolically sort of shedding himself from the blood on his hands and and so kind of him or at least what's suggested here i think is him uh, keeping his hands clean is sort of the a character flaw, I guess, where he feels to take responsibility for yeah. his actions and um, which also might kind of demonstrate itself in the way he uh, presents himself to his children or the way he acts as a father to his children, which um, I think this, there's something that I thought of which might be, reaching a little bit too far thematically, but um, there's this point where um, once the children realize that one of them might be killed, they start uh, kind of sucking up to Stephen, like, oh, you know, uh, Dad, you know, you wanted me to cut my hair, and I did. Look, it's (laughs) I did exactly (laughs) what you want. Like, please don't kill me. But to me, like, more symbolically, what that made me think of is the whole concept of sort of neglective fathers who then um, have children who become very conscious of getting their father's approval and feeling that the father's love becomes conditional to certain actions or uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a negligent father or maybe a a father who just uh, is too demanding or too strict or in some way Who in some way presents his love as something that's um, not unconditional in the way that I think a parent's love should be, Um, and so that's when the children, kind of symbolically at least, start feeling like, "Oh, father is about to take away his love. We have to. I have to do something in order to get it back." Um, Again, I'm not sure if this is reaching like too too far, but um, I don't think.
0: I mean. The thing with this movie is, I don't know if if there's much that is, um, would be reaching about it in the sense that I -hmm. think, I think if you're going to reach with this movie, it's to try too hard to make it all make sense in this like nice, concise little bit. But if you read anything like Yorgos Lanthimos talking about this movie, he doesn't say anything about what it's about, really. He's just like, it's there on the screen for people to interpret however they you know see it. And I think a lot of what you're talking about is just kind of there's a lot of clues there that build this impression of Stephen as just kind of this negligent character to some extent. you know he's not a great father um, one of the other things that we see early on, even in his, relationship with martin is you know he gets martin this gift this watch and he just kind of like uh he copies the lot he just like buys him the exact same watch that his his friend the anesthesiologist has Mm -hmm. um and i think I, i think this was the first time i noticed it but when martin comes over to the house uh when martin comes over to the house for the first time and meets the kids Bob and Martin are wearing the exact same shoes. Um, oh, really? <laughs> and I don't know if that's, like, an insinuation that maybe, like, he's been buying, uh, Stephen has been buying stuff for Martin for a while, and he just keeps getting him, like, the same stuff that, you know, maybe he bought the same shoes for Bob mm-hmm. and for Martin. Or there's also, like, a lot of weird little details in this movie about the confusion and, Merging of like identities. So there's this like Martin's kind of becoming or Steven's kind of becoming Martin's father Uh, Martin's kind of becoming this like child Um, the there's this weird uh, Thing where Martin almost feels like he moves into the power of a the place of a doctor and then um, the family becomes the patients where Martin's kind of delivering this prognosis of like well, you're all gonna die Here's how it's gonna happen there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just telling you like the diagnosis and you just have to deal with it. However, um so anyway, I don't know the little details like the shoes and the watch might be more of a yeah. comment on like that side of things.
1: What did you think of the the straps of the watches? That they make a big deal out of getting either the leather oh, one yeah. or the metal one and the metal one is more expensive and preferred by Stephen, but his colleague prefers the Cheaper leather one, which he th- thought new- looks nicer, and Martin did the same. Not sure if that's anything or just Steven showing off some kind of status by saying like, "Oh, the metal one is better because it's more expensive, right. maybe more durable." Um, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's any any specific meaning there that I can tease out. But I find that I find <laughs> that that section hilarious for. Yeah, Uh, there's a similar thing with the
1: uh, French fries where Martin makes a point of eating the French fries last because he likes those the most and Stephen says, oh yeah, I do it too. But then at the very end of the movie when Bob is dead and they're sitting in the diner again and Martin comes in and they have this weird... There's no dialogue, they kind of just look at each other. But uh, the daughter... Kim? Kim, yeah. So Kim, she's now eating French fries, but it looks like she's eating them first, um, right? Which I think is more reasonable because if you save the French fries for last, they turn like lukewarm or even cold right. because yeah, they yeah. cool down really fast, and then they're not tasty anymore. So
0: my preferred method is you have to. I like balance. I like all of the all of the ingredients that, or all of the different portions of my meal that I'm eating to come to a conclusion simultaneously. Hmm. Um, so I'm I'm in between the, the Kim <laughs> <laughs> Martin spectrum
1: yeah but there's they, they kind of they do make a big deal out of it at the end or at least the filmmaking does emphasize quite strongly with like close-ups of her yeah. pouring like the ketchup on the french fries that's this big classical piece that's playing in the background really dramatic and yeah I'm still not sure what the to make of it, right? Because that's the they Martin and Kim they kind of develop a relationship too. They, um, which is left ambiguous as to how that relation ends uh, after the movie is over. Um, but yeah, they they sort of fall in love, I guess, or um, she becomes infatuated by him. Uh, he seems not as into it not that um, interested in her yeah. yeah
0: we don't get we haven't talked a lot about his character which um is uh performed by Barry Kate Keegan? Ke- Keegan I think is how you say his name yeah um who does uh, this is my favorite performance from him i think it's just like really mm-hmm. weird and unsettling um which he's good at but like uh, yeah,
1: it, it did remind me a little bit of having seen Banshees of In Sharon now. That's right, kind of that yeah. same twitchy, nervousness that's going on. Yeah, uh, with it. This one came additive. first, though. Yeah, this one is more menacing, whereas the other one is more dim-witted yeah. and kind of innocent. But, um, but yeah, yeah definitely uh, knocked it out of the park i think i think this was his breakout movie too like this i think this released in the same year as dunkirk so uh which he was also in it was a very good year for him yeah yeah to say at least
0: um but we don't yeah we don't get a lot of emotion from him or much sense of what's going on with his character um you know explicitly in the script the best idea we get is that he's just after revenge that's more or less what he says mm. um but he's kind of there... this
1: mythical figure i think the because the title right. of the movie refers to this old greek myth in which sort of plays out in the same way i'm not sure if it's worth repeating but um in that uh comparison martin would kind of play out as this more godlike or uh, Maybe even demon-like, I guess, a character who then um, curses the mortals with, um, right, with this whole ordeal that uh, sets the whole thing in motion.
0: One thing I was going to say while I was mentioning um, uh, sort of identity and the sort of merging of characters or confusion of identity is he has this really weird monologue when anna goes over to his house she kind of once she finds out about the situation and where the curse is coming from essentially she goes to talk to him and he uh gives this little speech about spaghetti and being Mm -hmm. told that he eats spaghetti in a special way that is just like his father and then uh, realizing that everybody eats spaghetti the same way and that this made him really upset even more upset than when he found out that his father died um and i don't know what to make of this segment (laughs) uh and i don't know how the how if at all that plays into like the broader theme of what's being um you know explored in the movie there but it's a great little speech i think it's very creepy
1: (laughs) There's some uh, elements here about the way parents rub off on their children. I think it's also when um, at the beginning of the movie, we see Stephen and his wife being romantic together in their way, which means that um, they have this weird fetish going on where then Nicole Kidman goes completely limp as if she's under anesthetics. And then uh, Stephen goes and does his thing and then, later when Martin and Kim are together and she feels like I want to hook up with him and that's when she also lies on, goes to lie on the bed in exactly the same way that her mom did for Stephen right, which kind of right. suggests there that maybe Kim at one point saw them doing whatever they were doing and was thinking, oh, this is how adults have intercourse but... <laughs> or anything like that or yeah, there's something there about the way we when you're young and you see you, your parents are kind of the primary example of how life is lived and about how adults or people in general interact and then later you learn oh, it's maybe um, something else I guess that's actually the inverse now that I'm thinking of it because that's in the case of Kim that she uh, taking after her mom maybe suggested that she thought that's how people in general do this whereas right, right. Um, Martin thought that because his dad was doing it that they were the only ones who were doing it. right? Um, so it's actually more of a contrast I guess there than a comparable yeah. situation. Yeah, I'm still not sure what to make of this movie
0: 100%. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, I mean it's a very sort of like the the way it's laid out has that kind of there's so many elements here where it's just kind of a rhyme Mm -hmm. you know a metaphorical rhyme or thematic rhyming where it doesn't necessarily there's there's not like a clear puzzle to put together but uh it creates this sense of Well, because we talked about, like, the absurdity of it and how things feel out of control. But also, it very much feels like that's balanced against this feeling like there's a world with rules. Uh, Like, the characters kind of try to avoid the curse for a little while. They go to doctors. They try to find some other solution. Mm -hmm. For a little while, they sort of, like, capture and keep uh, Martin... A prisoner and they kind of beat him up and try to figure out a way to like lift the curse but there's ultimately ultimately they have to bend to the absurd rules of this world whatever they are um so it, there is this sense of like even in the sort of chaos of it there's a sense of structure and meaning and things are happening that have some kind of like order and rule or like not rules necessarily but yeah, it's a world with rules and there's order to it and there's causality yeah yeah. Um, it's like you just don't get to understand that you know as -hmm. as one of the people within it Um, you know you just kind of have to like follow play by this set of rules that you don't that you don't perfectly understand Um, so I think I don't know there's something weird about that where a lot of these little tiny connections, even if they don't make sense to us outright in a thematic uh, interpretation, they're adding up to create this feeling of like connectedness and sort of order to how things are happening, even if it feels kind of absurd and incomprehensible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess in that case, the only order is... The one that's presented by Martin, even if that one doesn't necessarily um, can be elevated to a more general rule, the, the idea that you take one life. There's a sort of karmic um, quality to his right. uh, his philosophy of justice, or you know that old uh Haram Harambi code. You know that one of the oldest. Uh, works on justice that basically is the the whole eye for an eye philosophy, which is, in this interpretation, I guess, then sort of elevated into more natural law. Even though I'm not sure if that's, if that's always the case. So, um, yeah, there's a weird, uh, there's kind of a tension there in, for me at least, in 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 so far as I, am I supposed to see, the curse as a kind of natural. Element of fate, um, in which fate would be or would demand a sort of pound of flesh from Stephen uh, to kind of settle the skills, or is this just another? Are are they entrapped in a human concept by someone who's just maybe more powerful than them or more, um, uh, more capable of enforcing? His concept onto them, which yeah. doesn't say anything about what the natural law or order is supposed to be, but it just says something about how we interact and about 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 how we force each our own absurdities onto others, who then feel uh, become kind of victimized by that the absurdity of it. And so, yeah, that there's for me at least there's multiple directions to approach this, and I'm not sure. Yeah, which one is the most um, meaningful or the most enlightening when it comes to um, saying anything about uh, the way we deal with justice or with uh, with each other?
0: I guess. Right. Yeah. Do you think it's Do you think it's deconstructing the revenge aspect at all, or maybe it's it's too hard to? because of what you're saying it's too hard to even tell because it's like it's presenting it at first like Martin's doing this because he wants some kind of revenge he wants payback there's the whole bit where he bites mm-hmm. the arms but to me you know I see the I see him biting his own arm and I'm like this this is giving me no sense of of uh, of mm-hmm. justice Um, and there's something yeah. about the brutality of that moment that i think does almost kind of deconstruct this whole concept as being one that allows for any kind of um any kind of justice justice really yeah um you know i don't know if that's what you know is intended with this movie but i walk away from it going like you know especially since we end on kind of This character that seems completely unchanged or unmoved by the outcome at the end you know it it ends on martin's face and there's not even like a a hint of like satisfaction or a smile or some kind of relief you know once he he sees that Mm -hmm. bob has died it's just like he's has the same deadpan emotionless soulless like look that he's had basically Mm. entire time. So it it very much leaves me with this feeling of like, okay, there's this attempt here to like create this situation that is quote-unquote justice for this thing that happened, but really really it's not fulfilling that in any kind of way for me as a viewer or like it seems like for the characters.
1: Yeah, I guess that comes back to the whole absurdity of the premise to uh, achieve this form of justice which also because it's so absurd and so futile almost. And it also automatically means that there's no resolution to it. And that I feel that's nicely reflected in the end, as you said, there's, they're just sitting in the diner and Martin's also there, but he's not with them. He's, he's not closer or further removed from them. It seems, um, doesn't seem to have resolved, resolved anything for any of them. Um, so yeah, that, that, I'm not sure, because the thing also is that Martin, it doesn't feel like Martin is really challenged for his perspective, I think, in this movie. Like, he right. presents himself as, you know, he presents his philosophy, you take life of mine, I take life of yours, or you have to take a life of yours, uh, you have to balance it, but that's never truly engaged with, I think, by the movie itself which i think is deliberate it's not a critique but um because i think there's supposed to be some ambiguity there with regards to the way his character functions as we talked about earlier is he supposed to be a force of nature that says something about the way we relate ourselves to some kind of natural law that might be there or not be there or just the natural absurdity of the universe that we that has us kind of dancing around as these silly little puppets that cannot conceive of what's happening. Right. Or is he another, a stand-in for another, just a, a human being or a human concept that's uh, kind of has us going into these absurd motions because of our own doing and not because right. of, um, maybe because of the absence of some something that's more... Uh, Divine, or like some sort of natural order, and then in the absence of it, we have these own little constructs. Like, we make up our own minds, like, okay, I'm not gonna get any divine justice, then I instead I want this, you know, I want right eye for an eye, or I want whatever. And so, is that just what we end up being
0: trapped being in ourselves? Yeah, 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 I think. Um, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier but uh i think it relates to what you're talking about here with his character where i think there's to me it definitely seems like there's some attempt to present kind of how martin is in power in this situation as being kind of a play on the the position a doctor is in sometimes to some degree or a commentary on that um, position of power to a a patient in in this sense where it's not a critique of doctors you <laughs> know or the, the position they're in but if you're someone who is you know you don't have a medical education you have no you have no ability to you know heal yourself you can't do surgery on yourself you can't prescribe medications you have to go to this person who has knowledge that you don't have and has a certain amount of like power and ability that you don't have to help deal with this situation. Um, and from the perspective of the patient in those situations, the doctor is kind of simultaneously like somebody who can potentially help you or save you from this problem that you have, but also someone who just kind of sometimes passes down the edicts of, like nature in a sense where it's like it's the doctor's job to be like like i think a lot about that 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 scene where martin is telling uh steven about the curse for the first time and it really feels like he's almost delivering a um like a diagnosis he's like here's how it's going to be you know this is going to happen there's going to be stage one they'll they'll be paralyzed stage 2 they'll bleed from the eyes or mm-hmm. they won't stage 2 they won't be able to eat stage 3 they'll bleed from the eyes then they'll die and um there's a sense in which you know he's presenting it as just like this is just what it is this is the this is that that what you're talking about like this is a law of nature this is just what's going to happen and it's it's almost like a doctor saying like you just have cancer i'm just telling you the facts there's nothing like we can yeah there's nothing really you know i don't really have power over this but they're still like the mouthpiece for this thing they're the they're the human subjective mouthpiece by which this information about your fate that you as the patient can't really understand without them is being um delivered if that makes sense uh so i think there's some there's some kind of weird like commentary there about like a a reversal of like kind of the horror of that experience as a patient where you know i've heard a lot of stories about you know the, the conflicting experience where you can be like i love my doctors and they do these wonderful things they can help us they can save us they can you know uh they have all this knowledge that we don't and but then also there's at least within the american <laughs> maybe this is a very american thing too but there can be a lot of like frustration about yeah. them uh, not you know maybe overlooking things or being overconfident about something or t- or giving you a diagnosis and then finding out later that like mm-hmm. it was wrong for some reason or or only, even just uh, like
1: only have enough insurance
0: to save. Two
1: out of three, right? The two out of three family members, yeah.
0: It's not, you know, I can't do anything about it. This is just the facts. This is just the way it is in America. (laughs) You can only pay to save, you know, one of them. So choose. Um, But I mean, even if the doctor, I guess what I'm saying is like, even if the doctor is completely right and they're getting the diagnosis right, there's some kind of weird experience there as the patient where you're like, I have no way of knowing if they're right because. They have some kind of knowledge of this situation that Mm -hmm. I don't have access to. Um, And I think that's kind of how this is presented where it's like Martin seems to have it's never explained how this curse is happening or what the mechanics of it are or whether or not he can stop it. It's just like he has access to knowledge about the situation and he knows what's going on. And everybody else who's being affected by it is just, like, has to kind of take his word for it and see how it plays out in reality and, like, make the, their best guess. Um, and so that's where, for me, this ultimately kind of ends up being, like, about the horror of that situation of just being, like, stuck in the the unknowingness of, like, yeah. being trapped in, like, a medical situation in a... In a like, dealing with that world and having no power to do anything about it and just having to, like, you know, uh, ride it out or do the best you can to, like, deal with a weird situation that you can't fully get a grasp on.
1: Yeah, I guess, like, in the sense that they're sort of... The doctors in this case would be the sort of gatekeepers to a world of existential, like, bodily terror that... can be randomly inflicted on a person and they can just only they you know they 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 know more of this world and they can maybe navigate it and if you enter into it they can maybe navigate you out maybe not but um it's kind of more like um almost like a what's the name of that um uh, from the uh, dante's inferno the sort of poet that guides the lost souls on the river um, oh yes, I know what sure you're talking about. I can't think of his <laughs> name though. There, there was one moment though where uh, the Kim does briefly seems to be relieved from her affliction, where she stands up and she's able to walk oh, to the yes. window before later collapsing again. Um, I'm not sure if that throws a wrench into your, uh, um, or the, to the extent to which uh, Martin is able to control or uh stop or not stop what's happening but
0: i think um, that scene is yeah. strange because it's not it's not ever clear to me that he necessarily is even like uh controlling it like she goes to the window and then he's not there or or by the time i don't know maybe it's just by the time anna gets there he's not there anymore um yeah i don't know i think I think even within that, it's like if you're dealing with a medical situation, there are sometimes these situations where people will briefly get better or something, and then you know, it, hmm. and then go back to normal or or something it's like that. It's never
1: truly like linear. Um, yeah, whether you're getting better or getting worse.
0: Right, right. So I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I might be reading specifically into it in a certain way that that wasn't intended, but that was that was my big takeaway from it watching it the second time mm-hmm. um and i still felt that again this time where you know i think um i think that to me accounts for some of the themes of like um identity uh merging where it's like martin is kind of taking on this The there's a role reversal that happens and uh martin and like steven goes from the place of the one in power who you know can deal out who who kind of is like the arbiter of health and well-being for martin's family and then that flips and suddenly like martin becomes that uh and so there's you know it's just like it's commenting on that dynamic by just like flipping it completely on its head uh and then letting it play out from a different kind of perspective, I feel like. Um, but there's also a lot going on here, so <laughs> who knows? It's a, it's a very much open to interpretation.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair interpretation. And as I said earlier, for me, it's more, I, uh, I think more about the more general relation that we have yeah, to yeah. absurdity of existence, the uh, kind of powerlessness and um also the lack of knowledge or lack of understanding that we experience within yeah, yeah. these forces that can kind of throw us around and cause us into like tragedies that may or not be self uh or put into motion by ourselves as it is for Stephen, you know he, he right. his his ordeal is not unprovoked in the, to some extent. Um but then again does the does the punishment fit you know his shortcomings or his mistakes it um there's a lot of these imbalances that we seem to have to deal with even if we seem to try or seem to want to try to uh have that balance as i think martin also tries to get you know you know i lost my dad you're going to lose one of yours then it's good but i think that's for me is the, probably maybe the most important question at the end if we if we see them all sitting we see them all staring kind of blankly and then that's for me is i think the final question like is it is it all good now you know really or um are we just still being are we just we, are we just victimized now by our own absurdity and have essentially resolved nothing
0: yeah yeah which i think is definitely i mean for me the answer to that question is no <laughs> like it's <laughs> uh you I'm know, i to agree yeah yeah maybe there's some people who watch this and they're like oh you know what a relief for for uh for martin but mm-hmm. yeah i i can't imagine i don't know i've never in a, been in a position where i've gotten revenge for something so i don't know maybe it does actually feel good but uh no yeah. it doesn't it doesn't seem like it certainly not when you portray it this way <laughs> thanks so much for listening again if you are interested in hearing next week's episode you can listen to that right now without any ads by listening on nebula you can also listen to our bonus episodes there we recently talked about the netflix series beef we've talked about movies like 1917 drive babylon there's a whole set of bonus content that you can get there that isn't available on the public feed also if you're interested in joining our discord community where we discuss episodes and movies you can do that by clicking the link in the description below so check that out thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week